Happy 4th of July weekend, and thank you for joining us for our service online. Author Sheridan Boise tells of a post office in Jerusalem where everyday workers sort through hundreds of letters uh, that are undeliverable and put them in their respective bins. And every year, about a thousand letters come to that post office that are addressed to God or Jesus. Each sender uh, mails requests, not knowing how to reach God or Jesus, to a post office in Jerusalem, thinking that if God could only be reached, he would hear their prayer requests for their marriages, for their finances, for jobs, for various needs. If only God could be reached. The prophet we are studying today is the prophet Daniel, and he really knew how to reach God in prayer. In fact, I think we might call Daniel the, the praying prophet or the prophet of prayer. And the passage that Maddie just read comes from Daniel chapter 9, and it is really one of the most remarkable prayers in Scripture. It is a wonderful model prayer for us, uh, particularly in our learning how to pray for our nation. I'd like to look at it in some detail today, but first consider how the whole book of Daniel contributes to God's one-story plan. Our theme for this year is one story, and we're looking at how the Bible fits together, how each part contributes to the whole, from Genesis to Revelation, revealing God's one-story plan of redemption for His people. So I'd like to begin by stepping back, taking a big-picture look at the, at the book of Daniel itself, and then we'll focus on this great uh, prayer in Daniel chapter 9. What do we know about the book of Daniel? Well, in chapter 1, we read of Daniel and his friends being taken to Babylon. The Israelites, those from Jerusalem, had been taken captive in Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, wanted to groom some of the, the promising young men from Israel to serve in various ways in his court and in his kingdom. Daniel chapter 1 is the chapter where we read about Daniel not wanting to defile himself with all the rich foods that the king of Babylon provided for them, apparently wanting to hear more to biblical uh, scriptural law. And it gives rise to what's become really popular in the last few years, uh, known as a Daniel's fast, uh, eating only certain types of food, leaving others off. Daniel chapter 2 tells us about King Nebuchadnezzar having a dream, and none of his wise men can interpret it. But Daniel, Daniel is able to tell him the significance of his dream as God gives Daniel that ability. And so Daniel begins to get significant favor in the eyes of the king. Daniel chapter 3 is a pretty well-known chapter. In Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar has built a golden image. And everyone in his kingdom is required to bow down to it, to, in other words, worship it. But Daniel's good friends are featured in chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They will not bow down to that image. They're only going to worship the Lord their God. So they were thrown into a fiery furnace, and you may know how that uh, story goes. God protected them. He preserved them. They were saved. In Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has a second dream. And again, Daniel is the one who can interpret that dream for the king. In Daniel chapter 5, there's a new king reigning, and his name is King Belshazzar. King Belshazzar is having a big party. 
lots of wine, lots of drinking, everybody's laughing, having fun, and all of a sudden something happens. A human hand appears with fingers writing on a wall. And the king is shocked, as is everybody else. Nobody can interpret that writing. But of course, Daniel can, and he boldly declares to King Belshazzar that, you know, you found wanting before God. Your life's going to come to an end. Your kingdom's going to come to an end. And that night he dies. By the way, this is one of many places in the Bible where a phrase, a word, a thought from the Bible has given rise to a phrase or a word in our language today. You ever heard somebody say, well, the handwriting's on the wall. You know, it's going to happen. It's going to come to pass. I think this is the origin of that phrase. That's what we find in chapter 5. Daniel chapter 6 is probably the best known chapter of the whole book. Daniel was a man of prayer. And he had found great uh, favor uh, in this kingdom as an exile. And so he increasingly was promoted, but others were jealous of Daniel. He had adversaries and they sought to destroy him. So they went to the king. They realized to destroy Daniel, they were going to have to find something that was in connection with the law of his God. And they knew that Daniel prayed a lot. And so they got the king to agree that no one could make a petition to anyone in the kingdom for 30 days except to the king. And, of course, Daniel continued to petition the Lord God to pray as he was accustomed to doing. So, uh, despite the king's uh, poor decision and his sadness at having made that decision, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. And you probably know how that story goes as well. Daniel was protected. He was kept. And then in Daniel chapter 7 through 12, we get a section of the book that reminds us a lot of the book of Revelation in the New Testament. Many uh, visions and things that are somewhat challenging to understand. Um, but I want to look at, at one particular set of verses in Daniel chapter 7 because there we find the particular emphasis on Daniel's one-story prophecy of Jesus Christ. And I'd like to look at those verses now just for a moment. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, we read these words. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Now note one thing, Daniel's highly significant use of these words, son of man. Who is he talking about? This son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. This son of man to whom is going to be given an everlasting kingdom so that he's served and worshipped by all nations, all peoples, all languages. Who's he talking about? Whoever this Son of Man is, <clears throat> everyone is ultimately one day going to worship Him. Who's He talking about? The Son of Man is Jesus' most frequently used title for Himself. Jesus uses the phrase Son of Man in the Gospels approximately 80 times, 81 I think by one person's count, 
Why does Jesus use this title, the Son of Man, for himself more than any other title? He calls himself, you know, the resurrection and the life, the good shepherd, many other titles. But he calls himself the Son of Man more than anything else. Why did he do that? Well, number one, to show that he was a real flesh and blood human being. Jesus also knew that he was fully God. When he said, before Abraham was, I am, he was declaring to be one with God. He knew of his deity, but he's also showing his full, real, flesh and blood humanity. Furthermore, I think Son of Man is a title that indicates the humility of Christ. But very importantly, as we study the book of Daniel, is this reason for Jesus using that title. He's identifying himself as the one about whom Daniel prophesied. The one who would come on the clouds of heaven, the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's look just for a moment at a passage in the Gospel of Matthew. It's one of many places, a number of other times, even in Matthew 26, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. But uh, in this instance, he's before the high priest. And the high priest says, I exhort you by the living God. I adjure you by the living God. Tell us you fear the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. The one about whom Daniel spoke. So how does a high priest respond when Jesus says that? Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. Why was this blasphemy? What further witnesses do we need, the high priest says. He goes on to say, You've now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. So they're going to crucify him because he claimed to be the Son of Man who would come on the clouds of heaven. The high priest, the other Jewish leaders, knew very well the prophecy of Daniel. And the reason they considered Jesus' statement to be blasphemy was because they knew he was claiming to be the Messiah. Daniel gives us one of the great Old Testament prophecies of Jesus, the Son of Man, who will one day come on the clouds of heaven and will ultimately be worshipped by people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. Now, I'd like to move back from this broad view of the book of Daniel and focus in for a closer view of chapter 9, where we find the praying prophet Daniel and his great prayer for his nation. Maddie read it for us just a few minutes ago, and I'd like to look at it in some detail this morning because I think it teaches us how to pray for our own nation. And the nation in which we live is very much in need of our prayers right now. What have we learned from Daniel's prayer? First is this. Daniel's prayer was informed and empowered by Scripture. Notice these words in Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Daniel now, who knows the prophecy of Jeremiah, God's word given to Jeremiah, 
is being prompted by this prophecy of Jeremiah to pray. The word of the Lord to Jeremiah is the impetus for Daniel's prayer. The word of God is informing, guiding, directing his prayer. Daniel's going to pray in accord with Scripture given to Jeremiah. Now look at verse 13, Daniel 9, 13, as he continues to pray. How does he pray? <clears throat> He's praying to the Lord and saying, as it's written in the law of Moses. Now Daniel knows the law of Moses. This calamity has come upon us, yet we've not entreated the favor of the Lord our God. If we follow that entire prayer, we read Daniel referring to God as the one who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. So Daniel knows what's from the book of Exodus, the account of the Exodus from Egypt. Daniel knows God's word, and his prayer is built around the word of God. God's word is informing his prayer, it's shaping his prayer, and I think it's empowering his prayer. Over the years, I've, I've sometimes had people say to me, and we're talking about their devotional lives, say, you know, I, I feel pretty good about my Bible reading, but I struggle with prayer. Christian leaders, Christian leaders, even pastors will say, you know, I'm, I'm really disciplined about reading the Bible every day, but I struggle with prayer. If that's true for you, and I think it's true for lots of us, let your Bible reading inform, guide, and empower your life of prayer. Pray what you read. If you're reading, for example, in the book of Psalms, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the way of sinner. When you're reading instruction like that, pray, God, let me be that person. Don't let my life be guided by wrong counsel. As you're reading Jesus' words, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. Pray them back to the Lord. Lord, let me be pure in heart today. Let me be a peacemaker. Recently, I've been studying the 119th Psalm. Some of you are listening to our little Psalm Starter podcast uh, that we have available every morning. We're going through the whole book of Psalms and trying to stay several weeks ahead of where we are. I've been working recently on Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm or chapter in the Bible. It's longer than some books of the Bible. It's got 176 verses. And so in our Psalm Starter podcast, we're going we're to go about a month just in Psalm 119, and that'll come up in several weeks. But um, I noticed something going through Psalm 119. The theme of the psalm is the Word of God, but, but many of the phrases in the psalm are prayers. And I was struck by how relevant and applicable those prayers are to our lives. I'd like to look at just one, just one of the 22 stanzas. There are 22 eight-verse stanzas in this psalm. Let's look at just one of them. Psalm 119, verse 33. Beautiful short prayer to learn, memorize, pray for yourself. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. What a great prayer to pray before you open your Bible. Another verse in that same stanza, verse 35, lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. Now that is a great verse to learn and memorize. We were at the beach several weeks ago with my daughter and her children, including our uh, three-year-old grandson, Jackson. I said, Jackson, if you'll memorize this verse, I'll get you a special toy. 
Now, the kid's almost four. He's three, almost four. So had to go over it quite a few times, but I think he, I think he learned it. And I think if a three-year-old can memorize it, I think you and I can too. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. What a great scripture to pray, to inform, guide, empower your praying. Let's look at another one in that stands. Verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain, not to covetousness. You find yourself thinking about money too much? thinking about your investments, looking at them all the time, worrying about them all the time. Maybe you need to pray this prayer. God, incline my heart, draw my heart to you, your word, not to covetousness, not to selfish gain. What about verse 37? Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. You're struggling with looking at things on your phone or on your computer screen that you know God doesn't want you to look at. Maybe you're looking at worthless things that are not perhaps evil in and of themselves, but maybe just worthless. God, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. The Bible is the greatest prayer book ever written. The book of Psalms in particular is filled with prayers that we can pray. If you struggle with your prayer life, I point you to the prayer book that is God's Word. Daniel's prayer life was informed, it was empowered, it was shaped, it was guided by Scripture. Secondly, Daniel's praying for his nation. His nation, his people are in exile. And as Daniel prays, as he confesses sin, he included himself when he confessed the sins of his people. Notice how he prays. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled. Turning aside from your commandments and rules, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Now, wait a minute. Daniel was listening to the prophets. He was the one praying in accord with Jeremiah's prophecy. He was perhaps the most godly, holy man among his people. But he's saying, God, we've sinned. We've done wrong. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets. What's he doing? Daniel is taking his stance as an intercessor, standing before God on behalf of his nation, on behalf of his people, confessing their sins. But he's doing so in humility. We need more people who will pray like that. Our, our world is filled with so much anger-driven, finger-pointing accusation. In fact, next week, we're going to look at the book of Micah, and we're going to talk about walking humbly with God in an angry world. But followers of Jesus, like Daniel, should be different by the way we stand out, marked by our humility and also by our own acknowledgement of our own shortcomings as we take our role as intercessors, praying for God for our own nation, acknowledging our sin, Daniel included himself when he confessed the sins of his people. Number three, Daniel appealed to God on the basis of who he is. Not who Daniel was, but who God is. Notice how he prays in chapter 9 and verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God. And made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. 
You are great, God. You are awesome. You, you're faithful. You keep your covenant. You keep your loyal love, your steadfast love with those who love you. And then in verse 18. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Hear those words. God, we don't present the request because of our righteousness, but your great mercy. This is how to appeal to God. And then finally, Daniel prayed for the fulfillment of God's purpose. Notice his words in verse 19 of the prayer. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. He's praying boldly. Delay not for your own sake, my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Now notice the recurrence of the word your. Four times in one verse. Your own sake. Your city. Your people. Your name. Daniel's not praying, Lord, what I will. He's praying, your will be done. Your purpose. The fulfillment of your purpose, God. So what happened? What happened after he prayed? Let's look for a moment at Daniel uh, 9, verses 20 to 23. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my pleas before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, who I'd seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, Gabriel is an angel, uh, an angelic being. He describes him as the man Gabriel because uh, the angel Gabriel is appearing to Daniel as a man. He has seen him in a vision, now is appearing to him as a man. Uh, we know he's an angel. He appears elsewhere in Scripture. It's the angel Gabriel who comes to Mary and tells her that uh, she's going to have a child. Gabriel is apparently an angelic being who is charged with delivering God's word. And so he made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I've now come out to give you insight and understanding. And notice these words. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I've come to tell you, for you are greatly loved. Can you imagine that? Here's the angel Gabriel with a word from God telling him, Daniel, you, you are greatly loved. The 10th chapter, there are two, two more times. Gabriel speaks to Daniel using those words. He, he calls Daniel, O man greatly loved. Greatly loved. But there's something else in this phrase that's worth noting. The angel says to Daniel, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy. In other words, Daniel, the moment you began to pray, God sent out a word. And angels hearken to the voice of God's word. They respond to God's word. They do what he says to do. 
And the moment Daniel began to pray, God put the angel into action. Daniel, the book of Daniel is a remarkable book in which to study the topic of prayer. It is especially significant when it comes to what is sometimes referred to as spiritual warfare. We will not look in detail at this right now. But as kind of a follow-up to this message this week, as we focus our, our prayers, particularly on our own country, <clears throat> each morning this week, uh, 6.30 a.m., we will uh, release a short devotional uh, teaching, roughly five minutes or so, and uh, we'll begin on uh, Monday morning with a focus on spiritual warfare, looking at Daniel's prayer and what happens. But I want to just... Uh, uh, prompt that just a bit by, by looking at a couple verses in Daniel chapter 10 as a follow-up to this prayer. Again, Gabriel, I believe, is the one speaking to Daniel here. Oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. He says, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I've come because of your words. He's reminding him again. The moment you started to pray, Daniel... Things went into action. Now notice what Gabriel says. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Later he says in verse 20, Do you know why I've come to you? Now I'll return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. There's none who contends by my side against these, except Michael, your prince. Now, we know elsewhere in the Bible that Gabriel's an angel. We know that Michael, uh, he's referred to in the New Testament as an archangel, ruling angel. So what is happening as Daniel is praying? Spiritual beings are con in contention. They're contending. There's warfare, and somehow... Daniel's prayer is impacting what is happening in the unseen heavenly realm. We'll talk about that a little, little bit more on the uh, little devotionals, the first one of which will start tomorrow. But for the moment, I want to point out the very significance of just one person, one person praying. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, but that was Daniel. He was special. In fact, God said he was greatly loved by God, and, you know, I'm just an ordinary person. Well, let me say this to you. If you have embraced the salvation provided by Jesus when he died on the cross, you can know with a certainty that you are not only accepted but also loved by God. You'll see two verses from the book of 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, where the Apostle John writes, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. To be our propitiation means that Jesus on the cross bore our judgment, the righteous wrath toward our judgment. Jesus bore it. He became the propitiation for our sins on the cross. 
Jesus in his great prayer prays for those who know him. And he says something remarkable to the Father God. He says, you've loved them as you've loved me. You can know you're loved by God by being in Christ. And like Daniel, we can not only know we're loved by God, but we can have a very clear call to approach God and to approach him with confidence. One place that's very clear is in the final verse uh, verses I'll share from the book of Hebrews chapter 4, where we read these words. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We come to the Father through Jesus the Son on the basis of his perfect righteousness and partake of his perfect love. And the need for a people who will do that, who will come to the Father through the Son and pray for our nation is very, very great. We can follow the model of Daniel's prayer as we pray prayer that is informed and empowered by Scripture. As we include ourselves when we confess the sins of our nation. As we appeal to God not on the basis of our righteousness, but the basis of His greatness, His mercy, His grace in Jesus. <clears throat> we pray for His kingdom to come, His will to be done, His name to be honored. And I want to ask you to join me this week in making this a special week, Monday to Friday, when you'll take some special time to pray for our nation. And um, I'd like to do that right now as we prepare to close. Father, we come, and we come to you today in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In your word you have said that prayer, supplications, intercessions, and thanksgiving are to be made for all people, for kings and all in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And Father, how we need this in our nation. Your godliness and your peace. We pray that you would guide our leaders in ways that are right and just and good in your eyes. We pray that you would turn our hearts towards you and fill us with the knowledge of your will, that you'd pour out your spirit on our nation. Father, we confess as a nation we have sinned against you in many terrible ways. But Lord, your mercy is great. Your steadfast love is rich for those who know you in Christ. Thank you for the covenant you've made with us. Thank you for calling us to seek you. And we pray may your kingdom come. May your will be done. May your purposes be fulfilled in our nation, in our church, in our homes, and in our lives. May your will be done. And we pray in your great name.